Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is born in the fury of the most violent storms on Earth. It has traveled thousands of miles, building in strength and size. And here, in a remote corner of the planet, some men will not run from its fury. They will ride it. You're not ready for it. I'm ready. So when the wave breaks here, don't be there, or you're gonna get drilled. He's a modern savage. If I say save the surface beach, Captain, it's save the surface beach! What's he searching for? The ride. The ultimate ride. What's up? The only thing surfers have in common with the rest of America is they're unemployed and love crystal meth. Welcome to the 18th edition of Surf Center. This is Chad White with my partner Damian Farenfort from Free Radicals. Um, this week we actually had a, a, the pleasure of, I think this is probably the most grown-up podcast that we've done so far. It's probably going to be the well, tightest one. 18 is the official age of consent. That's right. It's also it's time to grow up. You turn 18 <laughs> and you go to you go, to right. go stand on your own two feet. Your we, parents are like, move out. We could be drafted into the military at any time. So... Anyway, we sat down with a friend of Damien's named Michael Gallucci, who's the co-founder of SportsMemorabilia.com, which was acquired by Fanatics, um, and then he became the SVP of marketing. Uh, for those of you that don't live in the USA, Fanatics is the leader of branded sports apparel and product in the world, and they've got about $2 billion, actually over $2 billion in sales, um, and has an evaluation of about $4.5 billion. Um, so Michael has worked with you know, the biggest sports stars on the planet. I mean, you name it, he's worked with like, you probably have a better list than I do. Yeah, everyone from Shaquille O'Neal to Magic Johnson to a Alex Rodriguez to uh, any one of the Manning brothers, Peyton Manning. It Are just, you going to name someone famous anytime soon? Mike Tyson, he was just with Mike Tyson That's a few days a before guy. we uh, interviewed him. <laughs> awesome. So what we talked to, what we talked to Michael about was... was Not Mike Tyson, No, Michael no. Gallucci. Well, what we talked to Tyson about, um, I, I wish, we'll, we'll get him next. What we talked to Gallucci about was, was you know, how to build and monetize audiences um, and what young brands should be focusing on, in, especially in the age of COVID, around, you know, commerce and how to tell, you know, in our case, how to tell the story of surfing better. But I think in general, what we really wanted to know was, you know, what are the kind of key trigger points to fandom? Yeah, I think it's, it's been a bit of a dead zone in the surf world and the WSL hasn't quite cracked the code to it. They've built audiences, but haven't been able to monetize. And uh, I don't think there's a better person to talk to than this. Well, at least in, in my Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, yes. which is which is it's a pretty limited Rolodex yeah, when it comes to intelligent surfer, people. surfer, skateboarder, <laughs> surfer. Yeah, me, me too. Well, cool. After Michael, we'll catch up with Lincoln Ether from Empire Ave for a new segment that <laughs> that we're I guess loosely titling at the corner of Lincoln and Empire Avenue. Uh, Lincoln's company is called Empire Ave, so that we, there's a pun in there somewhere. Um, so he'll probably hate on the name, but he will definitely provide some cold, hard stats around Surf Media's uh, website traffic and who's coming out on top. And then after that, we've got a new feature, which uh, we've been getting a ton of requests asking for product reviews. And you know, pr product reviews are generally pretty dorky, so we've been trying to figure out how to cool way to do it. So I figured we'd start testing things that you absolutely don't need. 
yeah. you'd probably buy anyway. 100%. Um, so all these products that we're buying on here is 100% funded by the Free Radicals marketing budget. Yeah, so, which is very small. So we can be hypercritical. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so so uh, we've got that coming up. And I think this first product review is pretty funny. Morgan Masson sent this product to me on Instagram uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I just thought it would be the perfect one to test out first. But, but first, we've got to talk uh, this week in surfing. And not much has been happening. I mean, it's Groundhog Day over here. Kelly Slater still fighting with kids on Instagram. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it's still there hasn't been a wave in, in, in California in, in over a month now. Well, everybody else has been getting barreled around the world. Yeah. Like Australia, South Africa. I just, it's, it, it was torture in the beginning. Now it's not even torture anymore. I'm just numb to it. Right. Um, it's a low, just dropped another psycho edit, uh, which he made himself the creative director of by essentially just putting clips in a timeline, a song from the 2000s and uh, putting it out, which I love. I just, hey, man, <laughs> I love it. you know, you got to do it. It ends, it says creative director. <laughs> it's a low Ferreira. I just think it's, he's just the most awesome. He is the best. Um, COVID, yeah, still alive and kicking. We're still fighting over masks. Unfortunately, uh, the only thing I was hoping COVID would kill was the ultimate surfer, but uh, Elo's too strong for the Rona. That's right. Apparently, they're busy filming at that end, Lee Moore, as we speak. Lee Moore, okay. The Moore, Lee Moore. Well, you know Lemoore. the way the way it's written here, it, it, it's it looks like Carissa Moore's Limor. It's French redneck. Yeah, Limor. <laughs> hey, Limor. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, Chad, biggest news this week: uh, professional surfing is back, and the real competition is actually Stab versus WSL, which is which is exciting. Yeah, and 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 the stakes couldn't be any lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't so that the truth? And I think that's why it. And if we we can talk about the WSL's rumble at the ranch because. Yeah. Uh, that's fresh in our minds. And I think that's just why it was so boring. Never mind the streaming issues and just, just the lack of programming and the same pre-rolls and just the dead space, which we'll, which we'll get into, was there just were no stakes. Yeah. They had 10 grand up for a charity of the winner's choice. And like, of course, surprise, surprise, it's like Surfrider Foundation, not like a BLM movement or something to do with COVID-19 or anything other that concerning the world and what's actually going on right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, like we, you know, in, in in conversations we've had about this, it feels to me like like for sure the people that I know at the WSL would have raised like, hey, what if we did, you know, BLM jerseys or jerseys that had some kind of messaging on them that 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 spoke to each individual's you know concern for the world at the moment, um, like the NBA is doing, right? And I and you know that that was presented, and you know that at some point someone made a conscious decision to not do that. In other words, to not elevate the WSL's game. I think they rest on their laurels a lot. And I think this is a really prime example of them doing that. They really just did not bring the A game. And so is a prime example is them not owning their mistakes and their fuck ups. Like, yeah. you know, Sam makes a mistake and he refunds at Stab when they did Stab High and it was glitchy when, you know, the first time and it's his first time ever running yeah. a major event. Refund everybody. Of you know, we're sorry that happened. You still got to watch for free, but we're refunding you. WSL, granted, is for free, but. It's their primary source of income and what they are as a league. Yeah. And instead of going, hey, guys, we're sorry the stream's glitching and it's, you know, we don't know what's happening. Go to Facebook and watch it there. It's not as good, but, you know, you'll still be able to watch and live it. They just go quiet and pretend like everything's all good. I think, I think that's true. And I think that happens with judging calls. It, it happens with a lot of different Absolutely. things that they do, right? It's always, there's always something going on with them that, that they just never own. They never own a problem. They never own the faults. And, and, and you know, if you've ever worked with anybody like that, it's a horrible people. The, my least favorite people are people that can't own their shit. So my least favorite league now is the leagues that can't own their shit. You know, it's like if. But the other thing about it is that 
beyond all of that, and you know it's going to happen, and of course someone had a, you know the easiest job in the world, which is is to you know continue the 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 excellence of the WSL's feed. They've done a really great job. No, we always talk about how do. amazing I mean, it's incredible. the experience generally is. And the fact that they couldn't do it on a, on a pre-programmed thing and they could not make that work is is again. Obviously, it's not everybody's fault. Someone's it, getting shirts on this morning. I really hope so. And then, and then the other thing is, is a bit even deeper than that. And I think this, this comes down to the, maybe not all wave pools, but definitely Kelly's wave pool. It is just not that fun to watch. After you've seen three or four goes, right? It doesn't matter who's on. So when I, you'd watch any one of the stuff I watched, I watched. So if you watch Griffin and you'd watch, Griffin was pretty spectacular, but Griffin and Kanoa, pretty similar. You know, everybody's kind of surfing the wave the same. The wave's the same. There's no, there, there's absolutely zero. Um, again, we talked about stakes, but there's, but there's no chance. There's no, there's no excitement in it then, because you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, Xander Morton wrote an awesome article for Surfer Magazine this morning, kind of a recap, and it was a lot of the similar notes that I'd written down for us to talk about. But just having the guys like ride waves back to back, so they're like exhausted. So their second wave is like. A fraction of the energy of their first like right. first doing it like coco you get the first right then felipe gets the left then coco gets the next you know and yeah. vice versa and you just kind of trade off right it's just the, they just do the all programming the was work, terrible yeah all the hard work's done and then they get the simple stuff wrong that's right i mean even down to like the visual identity and like the rumble of the ranch name you know like the, yeah you know we talked a lot about it it's they just straight ripped off the stasic fade yeah well i mean it, it and they exactly and 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 they didn't have to you know, they, they've got great creative minds over there. I don't understand why all of a sudden they had to take, you know, the, the Stesic's main thing and make it look like a Stesic takedown. It's any, anybody that knows anything about creative and surf and surf culture and surf history understands that that, that particular visual identity is owned by CR Stesic. And if anybody's going to do it, have him do it. He's not going to charge you that much money. He's he, stoked. He loves surfing. Plus, then you actually have a story. What about, you know, then you run the little interstitial during the boring times of the event. You know, anyway. That's what I expected there to be more of too. Like, and granted, I couldn't really actually watch the event because after every wave, it would freeze or halfway through. Halfway and then through. I was trying to restart. But I couldn't even get into like the, you know, what has Felipe been doing? What is Carissa? What have all these people been doing? There was so much time to fill up the dead space oh. with great programming and interviews. And not just like, they just got to the ranch, like leading up to it, like the week right. before with them. Any kind of programming that HBO, any one of these organizations would have done around an event. Yeah. Yeah. What's so Felipe's stuck with his kids for X amount of time. I mean, what, what have they been getting up to? I mean, there's story after story after story. They're all local. They're all easy enough. They're an hour and a half drive for the WSL team to go down there. Well, they have so many videographers that live in that area. That's what I'm right saying. There. How easy would that have been? Yeah, it was for me. It was a major miss. Everybody yeah. was eager. I would have paid for that stream if there was they were charging a fee 100%. because I was excited to watch surfing again. Yeah. And it just, I'm kind of now like not you know not looking forward to any more professional surfing. Not like, really. I, I could go like a few months without watching it again now, and it, it doesn't feel like it you know wet my palate and made me want more. Yeah, well, because it was more of an exhibition event, right? It wasn't. It didn't have that. Again, we go back to it. Unless there's a world title, so the, the WSL—it's it's weird because Stab and Stab is not encumbered by this problem. The world title doesn't mean anything to to, to the Stab High or to the Surf 100. Anything that's any programming that Stab has, or any other you know uh, outlet has, isn't tethered necessarily to to a world title. So it doesn't. So the stakes can be just that one standalone event, whereas the WSL 
have programmed us to to hold the high the, the the highest regard for the world title and maybe the triple crown after that. This is neither. So they this kind of sit themselves up to fail. Right. This is this. like a bad exhibition event. The the men's and women's thing. I love the fact that men's and women's team. The co-ed thing's totally cool. But again, I think that even that made it more because it's so novel that it almost made it even more like a like a novelty event. It made it more like like if one if one of the two athletes blows it, they blow it for both the athletes. I mean, they should so, they should what they should have done is they should have had each of the invitees five grand entry fee. Uh, top prize purse for the men goes to the charity. Yeah. Or they get it back or half, they get their entry fee back and half of whatever to a charity of their choice. Five grand for the woman each. You know, all of a sudden you're donating 50, 60, 75 grand to charity. Right. Well, let's count it down. So, so WSL, it's, it was terrible. The feed kept breaking, right? And that happened for everybody. So it wasn't just, I kept thinking it was just me. And no, I went on Twitter it. and people were melting down. So the, the I mean, you, you could, you, you essentially couldn't watch it unless you, unless you figured out how to watch it on Facebook. The, the viewing experience on Facebook sucked. Even if the viewing experience on both platforms was as it's supposed to be, um, or as intended, no stakes, exhibition kind of format. Um, just, just not exciting. It just wasn't fun. It, it didn't, it definitely didn't wet my professional surfing whistle. It didn't make me care about the world title because there is no world title. Um, so I, I didn't have any, I didn't have a horse in the race, dog in the fight, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, so on to the competitor for that same time period, the surf 100 by stab. Yep. It was insane. And I know you had some on the technical side, you had some technical difficulties. Yeah, I, just had, a, I, had, I had trouble with the paywall. Um, but, but again like that it, you know had i had i wanted to plug away and, and figure it out it, it wouldn't take that long to do yeah there's just it's, that's something they can work through but the actual experience was amazing so it was obviously pre-recorded surf footage 100 minutes shot down at low was one day griffin ian and kolohe and then it was live um hosted by salema taylor knox and dane and you know I think most people would pay 15 bucks or 10 bucks just to hear Dane talk for 100 minutes himself, right? Uh, well, that that three pack is pretty incredible, right? Yeah, it was, and it was insane. And then just the, and it was ad free, so there was no ads run. They Sam funded completely out of his own pocket. And if you know what's going on in the world right now, surf media is probably in a world of hurt because the surf brands on such a, the surf industry is in such a world of hurt. So he really funded that thing and came out and he took a big risk doing it. Mm. And to me, it was. It far exceeded my expectations. I actually went in with pretty, even having worked at Stab for so long, with pretty low expectations. Yeah. And I was blown away. Like the the partnered or the partnered content, sorry, not partnered content, the scheduled like programming. Right. In between. The interstitials. Was awesome. The interstitials, like yeah. interviews with Kolohe about his most memorable lowers experiences, you know, growing up in San Clemente, Ian Crane, like talking about one another. It was epic. And then my favorite part was they had the guys mic'd up in the water. Like I was like, wait, you're telling me Stab could do this in WSL. I've never been able to mic up the surfers in the water. Yeah. And I, the personalities came through and they, you hear them swearing and Ian's getting, Ian Crane's getting dropped in on and yelling at somebody. And then uh, Kolohe's making fun of Griffin for surfing the inside like he always does. I mean, that's great. And it's this insider view into the sport and it makes you actually care about the athletes. It makes you care about the... the, the and, and brings you into the experience of actually surfing with these guys, which is, again, I just think Stab... And, and, and again, the, and we're, we're going to get accused of, of sort of shilling for Stab because we, we both, well, you specifically. Um, and so we should address that. Like, if if Stab put out an inferior product, if Stab did something that would be like no, anything, I, 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 we would talk, we would go harder at them 
right? You yeah, work completely. Way I harder. Potential. I mean, even just the exactly. visual identity, like what Shinya did, he oh, just nailed dude, it. It's so good. Like he did the ode to the old ASP logo. Yeah. It's so freaking Yeah, but it's clever, all, but, right? but it was, but it was like a little bit of a takedown, but it was such an update and it was so modern and so right now. And then all the way the motion graphics worked and the countdown clock and the, everything else was so premium, but still fun. Yeah. Like, honestly, like you do the, that with five staff. You know, or seven staff. I think that's all Sam has right now. Higher. Yeah. Imagine what you could do. Well, with the WSL WSL. has really good. Like Jason Penning is a freaking rock star designer, yeah. and he does that kind of work. Like he does beautiful work. It's a matter of who's. It's a matter a lot of times of like who's approving what, right? Yeah. So they have the ability there. Trust me. Like they have great people there. It, it's it's just a lot of the times it comes down to who the head of marketing is or whoever. And in Stab's case. The head of stab has incredibly high taste level, right? Yeah, so. Sam, and he's like, you know, he's just taking swings. He's yeah. throwing shit at the wall and hoping totally. it sticks, and he's doing his homework and doing everything he can. I mean, he made, you know, and kudos to his team too, but he orchestrated the whole thing from across the other side of the world. Yeah, that's he Couldn't right. even be here, right? But what I did here is, and we can talk about, you know, both of them have more events coming up. WSL's doing one at Stratty with Joel and those guys. Sam has already shot his second one of Surf 100 with Taj. Um, Jay Davies and Jack Robber at North Point, and I heard it was pumping. I heard oh. it's insane. Yeah, that's going to be the one you want to watch, right? And I, I love the format. The format's incredible. It seems like well, it makes a lot of sense. Well, they're not tied to a date. They're tied no. to a swell. And this is going to be the, the, the going into next year with WSL and, and professional surfing and trying to actually frame it up and make it more interesting. Is that's going to be their constant con- constraint is having dates. You know, so they're going to say, on this date we're doing Stratty with. Joel Parker and whoever's going to surf their next one, right? Yeah. And it could be one foot and shitty. Again, where Sam's like going, he's doing, he's kind of flipping competition, surfing competitions on his head and going, okay, let's follow a swell and then we'll pre-record it and then we'll play it back as if it's live because you do get the live experience because it's the first time the commentators are viewing it. Well, and the, you know, for me, one of the coolest things about it is the fact that you have to surf within the context of that spot. In other words, there's, you know, lowers, there's a hundred guys in the water. You got to get your waves. Obviously, you know Kaloe, Griff, and and and. But even know. them, they struggled out there. Like they yeah, got of waves, but struggled. But they, you know, that would be the only downside of the Surf 100 was there wasn't. They just didn't get that many waves. And yeah. It, was, it kind of was one of those things where Lowe's was pumping in the morning from yeah. what it looked like, and then it kind of just dipped. You know how it goes. Like, like it does. There'll be these weird lulls for like a couple Southern hours in a day. Exactly. Yeah. And it did that like in that hundred minutes. So they got most of the sets, but it still wasn't that many. Yeah. And it was out there with everybody else, but it's cool. Well, it's a learning experience, right? I mean, they're not going to get it right. They're not going to nail it the first time. Whereas the WSL done this wave ranch thing a few times, right? They should well, have it's it controlled, pretty, right? It's they like, should have it pretty damn figured out by now. I mean, essentially, you know, and to paraphrase Xander though, it's like exactly what the NFL and NBA do where they can package it up. Isn't it? And, and deliver it. Right. And that's what they're trying to do here. Yeah. And it just didn't measure up. And I don't think it works. I, I don't, I think that stab high works because the type of surfing, um, I don't think that, I think that, that the wave ranch is, it's such a perfect wave. I mean, it looks so fun. Like I don't get me wrong. Like I want to, I can't wait to get invited. I've never get invited now, but I'd, I'd love to get invited and go surf that thing. <laughs> it's um, amazing. You go there, it's yeah. everything you want to hate. You have, you surf it, you, or you, you leave just wanting more. Right. No, of course. And, and because it's so perfect, but it's not fun to watch. No, it's right. Terrible. That's just the problem with it. It isn't, it's just not that fun to watch. And so, um, it, it, I, I think it could be, and I don't really know exactly how, I just know that they haven't cracked that format yet. Um, but I do, it, you know, when I was at the WSL, 
the the dream you know the 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 nightmare for us was always in the reason that the, the, the tagline was you can't script this because we had to lean into the skid right um because you, you know you, you've got 10 days you know on the swell tide you know all the elements that you've got going against you and it's so cool to be able to have this self-contained unit where you can you can name the time it's like it's appointment television versus the the, the normal wsl nightmare now though and i think that what you've raised is a really interesting point which is I didn't realize that that stab 100 was going to be a, like a continuing and ongoing thing. And you, and if you think about how genius that is, all you need is, and there are people that are doing it anyways. Like Jay Davies always has someone filming him. So all these guys, there's always a filmer on the beach. Yeah, so you you've got content happening guys. all yeah. the time. That's all it is. It's just packaging up and then getting a good point of view from somebody like Dan Reynolds or your other favorite surfers talking over it. Exactly. And, and it's, it's kind of simple. It's like almost like parking lot. Like, it's almost like what guys do if they're watching, you're in the car in the car park and you're like making comments on what your friends are doing in the water. Completely. Or watching your bros wave and you hear somebody going, you know, coming out of, getting burst out of a barrel you didn't think they were going to make and right. screaming and or, or whistling or, and hooting. Or the or, famous do something, which is yeah. always the one I hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think, so So what we're saying is, is that, that by, you know, by, by a long, long, by a wide margin, stab comes out ahead on this case, right? Yeah, I would have happily paid for stabs versus watch WSLs for free. Right. I had to choose. I'd yeah. rather put, put my hard-earned shekels down and pay to watch that broadcast versus the other one for free. Yeah. And that's it. And I think that's, I think we're going to see the next couple of months. You know, I, I personally don't see professional surfing coming back in December in Hawaii. Um, you just see what's going on. It's not slowing down. The no. optimism is great, but Hawaii is super strict on, on their lockdowns and what quarantine looks like. And I don't know if everyone can just hang out for 14 days and then another 14 days. Um, yeah. Comp. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it. It. it uh, look, if it's at pipe, it's a different story. Um, but even then, dude. It, well, I guess that's if that they're they're that one's supposed to be the first event of the season, right? Yeah. And so then I guess it means something because you kind of you can kind of go, all right. And it's pipeline. And it's pipe. Be pretty it's sick. Very stoked than... to see everyone back. But uh, yeah, I almost feel like they should just instead of trying to run these speciality events and keep it going, just bunker down, focus on next year, like, you know, how to keep fine tuning it, how to make this tour as best as they can, uh, programming, keep telling stories. You know, obviously we talk about it a lot. They need to get better at the storytelling around the athletes. And this interview coming up with Mike Gallucci, you hear him talking about, you know, how well the NFL and all these different guys have done with their storytelling, especially yeah. HBO around boxing. It's what essentially brought boxing back was those 24 sevens and made it so fascinating again, because as a, uh, I think your famous quote that you've adopted from Dana White, you know, tell the story about the fight and not the fight. That's right. Exactly. And I, and I really believe that. So I would love to see them doing that. I, I can't imagine that it's going to happen anytime soon. The, and if it does happen, it'll be pretty watered down. I think the, um, the tendency over there is, is to be very protective of the athletes, um, almost to the point where I think they actually hinder their, their um, potential. Absolutely. Um, and, and I could name names, but I'm not going to. I, think, I just think, you know, let these, let, let these personalities come through. Let their, their personal stories come out um, and, and lean on those because then people that aren't into surfing right now, and even those who are, uh, will have something to, 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 to root for. To well, you know what's been so cool is I've been, uh, I follow the Olympics channel on Instagram. Yeah. And then because it's the Olympics is currently meant to be on, um, which by the way, the waves are like literally 
zero feet over there. It, yeah. Surfing would have been a, a real disaster good argument for it. This was, is when this is when the wave pool comes is in. needed, right? Yeah, yeah for, right. The, for the WSL. This is when it wouldn't be boring. Exactly, but uh, it would still be boring, just a different kind of boring. But not as boring uh, as one foot cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, in the Olympics, they've been doing this programming where it's like on this day, this guy broke this record, mm-hmm. or it shows like the story of like how they got there and you know what they were gearing up for the Olympics this year. Different athletes. It's been fascinating. The content, like I go back daily to check out their new posts and yeah. check in back with them, and it's, that's the storytelling they could be doing right now during COVID, not just reposting everyone's content during surf breaks, like actually teaching us about each and every single one of the athletes on tour leading up to 2021 season. Yeah, Lincoln talks a lot about that, how they're basically, you know, it's funny, the WSL is really strict about you using anything that has anything to do with them and their IP, right? But they're real happy to just take content that's out there from from content creators and then just post it on oh, They're the feed. high school bullies. Yeah. They're the biggest guy in class and so they can push people around and you can't, God forbid you repost one of their clips, gets mm-hmm. yanked down for copyright purposes straight away, but they're quite happy to repost all yours and, Unfortunately, everyone lets them get away with it because they have the biggest audience. So you can go to your sponsor and be like, 250,000 people saw this because they have 6.8 million people on Instagram. Right. So yeah. we, we don't want to give away too much of our interview with Link. We'll yeah. let that happen. That's later on the show. But uh, up next, let's dive straight into Michael Lucci's uh, interview. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, all our advertisers fell through. Commercial break. Thanks for coming on the show today. Where are we catching up with you and uh, how have you been staying busy during these crazy times? Yeah, so the last four months I've spent in northern New Jersey, about 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. Um, I came up here almost about a year ago. So I, I lived in Miami the last 13 years, packed up Miami June of 2019. I did a little bit of a sabbatical, took some time off, spent the month of September in um, Spain and Italy and lived a good life for a while. And then just as I got back and, and started to get into new projects and um, you know, I wanted to be near the New York City area because it's just where everything starts and where everything goes down. Um, just as I started getting into stuff, COVID happened. So oh. threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into some things that I was doing. But at the same time, um, uh, e-commerce has just skyrocketed, right? Like you see um, a lifetime's worth of e-commerce growth in the last four months uh, since COVID. So it, it, it's caused a couple new engagements and people to reach out to me and ask me questions on, on e-commerce, but um, things have obviously changed a lot in the last decade or so. So it, it's become really easy for people to pop up businesses and I'm, I'm trying to point them in the right direction and um, help them minimize risk while they're doing that. So it sounds like you were planning on launching a kind of new business and some new things, but then you've kind of pivoted t- towards actually just helping other people that are trying to put a bit of, fuel on the fire of their business to amplify it. Yeah, yeah, that and, and there were some ideas that um, I didn't get through at Fanatics and I thought uh, there were some openings to pitch some investors to start some new business and maybe bring it back to them. Um, but that was that was all during the time of you know, February and March and I was having those conversations and um, I, I kept in touch with, with some people that were possibly looking uh, to fill a role and I was talking to a, um, a high growth tech company out of Barcelona and I got thinking that'd be kind of cool to go move and live in Barcelona for a little while. And um, I made it through a couple of rounds with them. And then when COVID happened, they said the government offices are shut down and we can't get you a uh, Spanish work visa. So we're going to have to cut conversations. So that was a bit of a bummer, but um, okay. yeah, I, I, I am. Yeah, that stunk. But um, I did learn 
a little bit about the industry that I was I was talking about. I had a chance to research it, and um, it had to do with food delivery and online food delivery. So um, it was just another learning experience, right, um, that I could put under the tool belt. But yeah, now I'm, I'm kind of focusing a little bit more on um, like a digital growth agency of sorts and bringing on different business partners with specialties in what I consider the three or four pillars of digital marketing and trying to build out a little team to help people grow. What, what, would, those, what would you consider those, those sort of four key pillars to be then? Sure, so one, just startup in general, right? People mm-hmm. um, might not know how to start up. I think I've identified some of the common things people trip over, like how much equity should I give people? How do I create a cap table? Um, I give them a few exercises to do to figure out how they can do that and have those conversations without feeling guilty or um, not being confident in coming out of that. So um, they say, you know, the, the idea is kind of the, the worthless part. The execution is the, the really important part. So I kind of help them execute and start and get going and feel somewhat confident. Um, and then the other two are um art and science right whatever you do now the art department kind of has to create that they create the motion or the stills or the brand identity um, to start and then they put that out there for the science department to say okay this is working this isn't working put more money towards that and i think the the art department and science department working together really closely um, is what helps you start to grow especially today and then i kind of have another pillar of just growth hacking and growth strategies and different things I've learned along the years to to grow and how to do things quicker and cheaper and easier and really to get yourself to a point where people smarter than you and more able-bodied come along and either want to uh, buy you out or, or have you join them. So kind of consider those the four pillars. And, and is that something that you feel like you picked up you know, during your experience building, building your, your business and then, and then being acquired by Fanatics? So it's a good question. It's, it's definitely both. Um, right. I, I don't think one could have happened without the other. Um, and sportsmemorabilia.com, I, I started with them really early. I was 21 years old. So I, I learned from a guy who had been in the internet marketing industry as an entrepreneur and he had an ad business. Um, and I learned a lot of um, SEO from him and, and different internet hacks and things like that to um, be able to get noticed online uh, for cheaper. And obviously in those days, SEO was a little bit easier. Everybody wasn't a self-proclaimed SEO expert. Um, So I learned certain hacks early on and what to focus on, what not to focus on, um, what 20% of your efforts can deliver 80% of the the results, that sort of thing. Um, and, And getting it to a good enough situation where you were profitable and making money and not spending money in in stupid areas um, and hiring a bunch of go-getters and not necessarily worrying about um, their their expertise so much and kind of we can teach them the way the way we need things to be done but then on the flip side getting acquired by a bigger company and um, interacting with people who have real internet marketing experience with eBay and Amazon and Orbitz and all these big companies, they had the luxury of uh, budget with them, right? So they could spend for data scientists and all these things. Um, So just understanding that whole framework and then understanding what tools are available now that wasn't available to us, you know, back in those days to use and leverage, 
it's kind of all tying that all together to be able to understand that growth. So it's definitely both parts, um, but being on the startup side and, and not having any money, to, not having any money, but um, not having a huge tech budget to do those things was certainly helpful. Learn how to wear a lot of different hats, you know, in that startup phase. Every hat. And, and, and honestly, it, it started with understanding the customers, right? So um, we were not only working with developers to build a website and build the checkout process. You know, we didn't have Shopify back then where you could flip a switch and everything went on. We had to build all those components. Um, but while you're doing that, you're answering the phone to incoming calls. And we were selling high ticket items that could be upwards of $500,000. So it was important for these people to call in and understand who they're ordering from. And with that process, I got to speak to a lot of people and understand the urgency they wanted the products in because they had, you know, their father's birthday at the end of the week or um, the wife forgot their anniversary and they needed it, needed this product the next day. Like, wait, the wife forgot the anniversary? Cause that's pretty rare. Usually it's not, <laughs> you, know. you see everything, right? The, the point is we have hundreds or thousands of conversations throughout the week and um, you know, you just interact with humans and it's like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And you kind of throw all the formality out the window and just say, we're going to do whatever we can to help this person get their product. And um, we were dealing with emotions, right? We were selling a product that was high value. It, it tied back to sports in some way, whether the, whether the um, customer was at a certain game or is a certain player, certain customer's favorite athlete. So we were delivering emotion as much as we were delivering product. And I think that, spilled into all the other things that we did so it was customer service it was sales it was logistics um, packaging um, and then the straight up business side of it to getting more um, drop shippers on board and figuring out what inventory to buy so absolutely wearing a bunch of different hats and then i, I think what you slowly start to see is you can't wear every hat for the for you know as the as the business plays out so you have to start bringing people on and trusting them to wear the hats that you wore so that's one of the things we want to talk about. You obviously got in early and learned how to build an audience, you know, 2006, I think you, that's when you started Sports Memorabilia. Um, yeah. And so you learned how to build an audience early on before SEO got so like oversaturated and there were just so many different options. You were able to kind of ride that Facebook wave. For young right. brands that are either starting out now or have been in business for a few years, what is kind of, what is the advice that you would have for them? Where should they focus their energy and their small marketing dollars right now if you're a small brand, whether it be hard goods, clothing, one of these kind of industry style brands that... Yeah, so obviously the, the major player right now is, is Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, right? And you're, you're at a point where you have to pay for that traffic. So brands focusing on the people who know how to buy ads and then know how to optimize those ads. Um, and taking it a step further, people who know how to create the art to the ads. When we go back and talk about the art and science department, <clears throat> I think as a young brand, those are the two that you really need to nail down because when you have everybody scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and everything, you have to capture them pretty quickly, right? You have to, whether it's a product or telling a story, that art department really has to get that point across pretty quickly. Um, but without the science department, you don't know how much you should be spending. You could be overspending. Um, that, that's really where I would focus down on. I mean, SEO is great and it's, it's quote unquote free, um, but it definitely takes a long time to get the SEO juice flowing. 
Um, and I think brands should still pay attention to that because two, three years down the road, they're going to benefit from all those things that they were doing in the beginning. Um, but I would say focus down on wherever the attention is and the attention is simply Facebook and Instagram right now. So, so Quicksilver, Billabong, some of these brands, the WSL as a, as a league, these guys have huge audiences already, a couple million followers in that, but they haven't quite been able to monetize it. You know, what have been the best practices by the NFL fanatics as these partnerships have gone to be able to convert that audience that they've built? So what the leagues like the NFL and MLB <clears throat> have to their advantage is they've been around for a long time, right? And there's been all these um, stories told about players and leagues, and, and it's really what I think is a, a generational type thing that's been passed down um, through, uh, you know, parents to their kids and grandparents. So at, at least they have this strong affinity to whether it's their team, eventually their favorite athlete. Um, so they have that working for them. And I think as they put more storytelling content out there, fans feel like they want to be a part of something, right? They want to be, you know, I'm a New York Yankee fan. I want to rock the New York Yankee logo. Um, or I love that, um, you know, Peyton Manning throws 20 touchdown passes a year and I want to rock his jersey. I want to be like him. Or um, I think even more so what kids now look up to are the guys like the OBJs um, who are dominating social media and uh, they want to buy their items. So when it comes to the leagues, I think leveraging their star power um, and giving them uh, the tools they need to grow even bigger. Um, so whether that's giving them access to their content and highlights and things like that to show their fans, um, creating initiatives to you know, drive fans back to the leagues and, and really be proud to rock league licensed stuff, things like that. Um, I think those are a couple of the, the, the major points. Where's the best uh, storytelling coming from? Which league or which organization, whether it be a brand or a league, uh, is doing the best storytelling of those athletes and creating that star power? So probably, I mean, just looking at the sheer numbers of followers from the sports leagues, um, the NBA and NFL, um, but don't discount the UFC and WWE, if you consider them a sports league. Um, I think WWE and, and UFC, I believe, has a bigger following on Instagram than uh, the, the major sports leagues, um, except the NBA. I think the NBA is pretty massive. So let's, let's just say NHL, MLB, um, and, and NFL. And they've obviously had you know, NFL things like Hard Knocks and um, uh, I forget the Showtime special or HBO special that they had, but they've been telling stories for years, right? And now they've been able to take that production quality and, and put that on social media, but at the same time, understand that you don't necessarily need that high production quality to tell stories on social media, right? You can do stupid loops or memes or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think the NFL and UFC are doing a great job of that um, to tell stories online and also throw it back to their athletes. Eh? they've understood they need to open up their content gates a little bit more um, to get back to to the athletes so I, I think I think those things are telling the best stories so did you did you guys ever do and this probably started I'm sure you did but the um when you were starting and kind of managing and running sportsmemorabilia.com 
Um, and you mentioned that you had these, you know, these great run in, not run-ins, but experiences with all these customers and you got to really know what their, what their sort of triggers were, right? Um, you know, we, one of the reasons that we wanted to have this conversation with you is a little bit around fandom and, and what, those, what those kind of trigger points are for fans and, and how, how you know, brands and leagues can best engage with fans by using some of those kind of emotional triggers. Um, were there, were there different, uh, did you sort of do any research as you're doing this into kind of like how you could manipulate certain triggers and, and certain emotional touch points with fans that you knew were, were going to kind of result in them needing to buy? Yeah, I think one of the things we did from a, from a memorabilia standpoint was offer more personalizations, right? So if you could spend a little bit more money and have an athlete write a personalization to you, you know, not too long or anything like that, but to Mike, uh, hope you had a great birthday or whatever it is. Um, that's definitely one thing because you get this product in your hand, you're looking at it and it's like, wow, you know, so-and-so athlete wrote this to me and I feel more connected to that athlete. And at the same time, we got more into game use items. So um, an athlete's cleats or jersey or whatnot. And I think that that really triggered their fandom to saying like, this was actually worn by Alex Rodriguez or, or a similar player. So th those were definitely some, some trigger points. And then we got into, you know, after we got acquired, we got into more um, in-person VIP meets and, and bringing them to meet these players and shake their hand and get to ask them a question and things like that. Um, so th those were just three I could think of off the top of my head, but connecting, connecting the, the fans to the player a little bit better is an easy trigger. Yeah. It seems like, it seems to me that there are so many, um, especially within it, it's it, mainstream sports are so much different than action sports and that you have this, first of all, there's, there's a legacy play, right? There's this, you know, these, a lot of these teams have been in, in, you know, uh, in, in existence for a hundred years or however long. Yep grandpa, grandma, you know, aunts, uncles, everybody, and, and your mm -hmm. whole hometown is like yeah. diehard fans of XYZ, you know, team. Whereas in the action sports world, you know, the, these sports as, as sports, you know, of course, the, the people have been, act, you know, participating in some of these things for a long, long time. Uh, but it feels like a, a, a heavier lift in, in the sort of, in, with these sports being younger, not having quite the same uh, legacy and also, you know, being instead of being built around an institution, it's built around an individual. Um, although all sports, in some degree, are, but even the you know the individuals are typically connected to the institution. Is there anything um, that you, as a, if you were, you know, in charge of a sports league like the WSL or if, uh, or a brand, what would what would be some of the ways that you think you could? Um, could help bring some of that same fervor, you know, to, to more of an action sports type of realm. I, I think one of the best examples of this is how I've become a huge F1 fan in the last year or two years. Netflix did a great job of telling the stories of the drivers and who they were and the frustrations that they went through and uh, you know, going home to their family and sitting at the dinner table and talking about it. And, um, you know, I was, I was, rooting for some of them and and i couldn't wait to see what was going to happen in the next race so um and and i'm sure there wasn't a direct um 
nobody assigned a, uh, a return on, on value on that, right? They weren't sure what that would, that would do for them. And they went after it and did it. And meanwhile, they come back, they have this whole group of new F1 fans like myself. Um, so, I mean, with a WSL, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if they do that. I mean, obviously you guys could tell me if, if that's being done. Um, the willingness of the, of the talent to be involved in that type of stuff. But, um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure on the schedule of it, but obviously with F1, I think it's every two weeks and you tell a story through those two weeks and, and UFC does a great job of that. And WWE does a great job of that. The major sports, like you said, they benefit off of um, generational fandom and, and people just being born a Red Sox fan or born a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, and they could be told all these stories of players that were on the team before them. Meanwhile, WSL are individuals. So you, you know, as a, as a guy comes up through his teams and competing, he has to build a storyline for himself and, and the WSL has to tell that to people. So um, that's probably the, the, the biggest comparison I would make is, is the storytelling that F1 does. Yeah. God, that's a great, that's a great analogy for sure. That's one of the things Chad and I have spoken about on previous episodes is, you know, how to make surfing more interested to the masses and creating more stakes. Um, and one of those things would be, how do you create these teams? And each brand has a team that they submit rights and there's only two spots per team. And much like Formula One does, because I grew up I on that. Formula One. Yeah, I grew up on Formula One being South African. It's, it's huge there. But my wife watched the show with me and then she was hooked, you know, and she's like keeping up. <laughs> it didn't matter that we already knew the results and we already knew that Lewis Hamilton was world champion. We were still fascinated by this. You know, the, the actual Formula One races were just a sub story of what was actually going on in, the, in those in between those two weeks, like you said. So that's one of the challenges that WSL is facing because they have numbers that are bigger than the NASCARs, not just socially, but they're saying they're getting 46 million views in an event but yet they're still really struggling to maintain the current sponsorship or corporate sponsorship and then engage new corporate sponsorship. And that, that has been one of, that's one of the things that's stunting and holding surfing back despite the audience and there being more people surfing than ever. What would you say, how do you think they could make the events more interesting and how do you think they could create that kind of stronger fandom um, between on the other side of a computer screen watching Jordy Smith surf in Tahiti? Yeah, so I mean, coming from a guy who didn't grow up watching surfing competitions, like I, I, I certainly enjoyed watching them, but I don't know if I really understood maybe the scoring systems or um, the storyline behind someone chasing another person or chasing history or chasing stats. I, I don't know if I was told that story enough um, when I first started started watching those certain things. So, um, just like you said, your you know your your wife gets to watch a series and all of a sudden becomes a fan with you. And now, um, now it's enjoyable for both you guys to watch and, and kind of root for somebody or just understand the emotions um, going on in, in the heads of these uh, athletes. And, um, you know, I, that's something I would like to understand is, you know, what, what's going on in the heads of these guys before they go out there. So, and there's obviously an, an education component to it, right? Like when you watch um, F1 on Netflix, you understand now that, um, you know, how many cars they have or what sort of tune-ups they need to make or how it's, how they use different tires on different tracks. Like, um, I'd like to know that story. Why are you using a certain board? Uh, does the, does the height matter? Do the fins matter? Um, and, and what's so different about one 
you know, Tahiti to another place? And, and how are they, how do they train for that? How do they prepare? They obviously, I don't know if they can go there and practice before. Like, I just think there's to, to gain more, it's a combination of education and storytelling. Um, and, and also when you talk about NASCAR, you can see what they're doing with Barstool Sports. And obviously um, Dave Portnoy is a, a, a popular guy right now in pop culture. And, um, you know, they called him to come in and go to the races and, and put it on his social media and get people going. So I don't know if there's an opportunity to bring in celebrity like uh, people there or other athletes, you know, kind of cross pollinate between, you know, the NBA, you know, get one of the NBA players out there on a surfboard and, and try to have them, you know, catch some waves and score some points. So. Uh, I, th I think that education plus storytelling. So let's say you're running the WSL fan engagement or, you know, growth, digital growth uh, strategy. How, how, how would your, I mean, just off the top of your head, what would be the sort of way that you'd approach that? I mean, first I'd probably do a bunch of research into seeing what the audience is saying about what's going on right now, right? Collect some feedback, understand, do they like the 10 day events? I mean, is it even possible to do anything shorter? I mean, you're, you're kind of um, it's kind of up to the ocean and lets you you know to have clean waves or yeah. um, weather and things like that. So I mean, that's already kind of working against you. So it's a little little tough. But getting some feedback from the audience, it's similar to how I guess baseball is doing it right now to maybe speed up the game. Right, baseball is a long game. Um, people are having less and less attention on the game. They're looking at their phones. Um, uh, extra innings goes really long. Can we start with a runner on second? I mean, I, I don't necessarily know what those things in, in surfing could be, but whatever those um, potential things you can try out, whether it's a new format, um, whether the, the stakes are higher because um, through storytelling, you're, you're building a larger audience and getting some bigger brands in there to, to throw their money against it. Um, I would do a lot of listening first because it, it's not something that you know, I grew up around and, and know very well. Um, so I, I'd again, uh, deploy that arts and sciences team to say, Hey, figure out what people are saying, what, what, you know, makes them, makes them go. And let's, let's try some new things out and have some new formats. And yeah, what, I mean, I'm sure you guys have had podcasts and talked about your thoughts on it. What, what seems to be the top thoughts on you guys on how to engage more? You know, I think I, I, I always go back to, to the idea, again, like I said before, it's about the athletes, not the, not the actual surf, right? You have to get people to care about these guys and girls. There, there's no, unless you know who they are and you know their story and their struggle. Um, you know, I know, I, I, I personally know a lot about a lot of these athletes and the fact that, that, the, the, that the, you know, that their fans don't know that or the people that could potentially be their fans um, is a shame. It's, I always kind of look at the WSL, like if, even if they just employed the most, the cheesiest Olympic model, right? You know, NBC sports, every time the Olympics comes around, they're going to tell you 10 stories about these super cheesy people or not people, but cheesy stories, right? About not even cheesy, but they're just their real stories, but they, they always work, right? <laughs> like they make you care about, you know, whatever the bobsledding or, or, you know, curling or whatever, because the, it, you all of a sudden care that someone had to shovel driveways all winter long to be able to afford skates or, you know, whatever those stories are. And those stories right. are prevalent in surfing, especially because surfing is, is a global sport. Not everybody grew up in, in, in white suburban Orange County. You know, a lot of people grew up in hard and had hard lives and overcame great odds to be where they are. And I think that that 
to me, that's always just a winner, right? Even if you just started with the most basic that thing, um, you start to allow people to care. The other part that I think, and I don't know that this is that Duma agrees with this, but I do think that, as you mentioned, it's an esoteric sport. It's a, it, it takes place on a lot of different canvases. You know, all these, these waves are all very different to the outside observer, probably not so much. Um, but, but to really do a better job explaining what's actually happening in the water to people and why things are scoring the way that they are, um, would, would go a long way, I think, to helping, um, the new fans understand what was going on, but you got to get them in the fun down the funnel somehow. Right. So it's like right. that whole, you know, awareness, you know, that just your standard consumer journey, I think is like something that is, is a challenge with a sport like surfing because it's, it is so esoteric. Right. And it, it, it's really understanding the, the key storytelling principles, right? Like they say any good, um, any good, speech or, or well-performing story has has three pillars to it logos ethos and pathos and the logos is the reasoning and um understanding what the benefit to the audience is and, and what what the beliefs are and, and you, you need to find that out first and and the ethos is the trust and credibility and, and who's speaking to me and why should i listen to this speaker who's who's telling me the story and the pathos is the emotion all the things that the audience feels what emotion do you want them to feel do you want them to feel joy for the surfer that like you said he couldn't afford a board and now he can um do you want to feel a comeback story and um figuring out those three pillars to telling the the story of of the surfers and you made a great reference to dana white and telling the stories about um about the fighters um you know who is going to be telling those stories i, I mean is it someone you bring in outside of surfing so that you uh, maybe has a little bit more of appeal and, and people want to listen to speak? I mean, I mean, I, I don't know who that would be. I mean, I, I watch um, birds fly around in planet earth because I like listening to what's that guy's name uh, that, that narrates planet earth. Who's telling me the WSL story. But one of the things I learned about you, you had, you had, was it Shaquille O'Neal? do your voice recording when people phoned in sports room magic johnson magic johnson sorry that was one of the things you had done to have that familiar voice early on yep yep it definitely i mean in, in that business we needed to um convey trust and and reliability right and we figured most sports fans know the magic man and i mean he was incredible because I didn't really even have to push him or ask him. I mean, once he got on the microphone, he's like, it's the magic man, magic. Jo like he brought it, you know? So, so who's that person that's going to bring it. It's going to be recognizable. Um, and, and, you know, lend, lend their expertise and credibility to a surfer's story. Absolutely. So, and that was one of our questions. You've worked with everyone from Mike Tyson, Conor McGregor, Alex Rodriguez, Magic Johnson. I've, I mean, the list goes on. Gronk. I remember that commercial, which I want to post uh, when we do when we send this, the Instagram story live. That commercial too that you did with Gronk back in the day. Yeah. What are some of the common traits that they all share, and that and and lessons that you've learned from these guys that you now practice? Uh, just from the guys that you had mentioned, it's it's their their work ethic and their discipline, um, not only to the sport, but to the business of it. Um, Magic Johnson's an incredible businessman, um, uninterrupted, does a great uh, segment on kneading dough with Maverick Carter that you could watch and understand where Magic learned business outside of sport and everything. And 
Um, the same with Conor McGregor. I mean, he's got clothing lines and um, Alex Rodriguez is an entrepreneur himself and he, he's had a, um, uh, a real estate uh, business and construction business while he was playing baseball. I don't even know if people knew about at the time, um, but it, it's definitely their work ethic and then the constant learning of how to perform better, um, how to be a better businessman. And then that translates back to, to athletes, right? They surround, they all surround themselves with pretty smart people. Um, their, their camps are, are pretty smart dudes, um, uh, guys and girls that, that help them get to the next level. Um, and as far as something that I would, I would maybe pick up on from them, I think, uh, I think about Peyton Manning when I think about that. And here's this, you know, six foot four, six foot five, larger than life guy. That's um, arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And he just carries this giant presence with him when he walks into a room. And when he meets you, he looks you in the eye and, and reaches out his hand. And he shakes your hand and he acknowledges that you're there. Like Peyton Manning acknowledges you, Duma, that you exist. And it does something to you. It, 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 it makes you, you know, excited and immediately respect the person for acknowledging you. Um, so I think whenever I go into a room or whenever you meet somebody, regardless of what their status is, what their job is, you look them in the eye and you, you acknowledge them as, as cliche as that sounds. Um, I think it says a lot about the person you are and, and the respect, the mutual respect that you're commanding when you do that. So um, that would be one that sticks out in my mind. See, you mentioned, you mentioned that these, all these athletes, the one thing I heard that you, that they all have in common, I don't, I'm paraphrasing what you said, obviously, but it was that they all are always looking for continuously looking for new ways to improve and, and to, to get, to become the best and just to stay, if they are already the best to stay the best, right? How, how do you typically think about that? Do you, or do you think about it that way? Is it something that you just naturally do daily? Like, look, you're on a path, you want to, you know, you're, you're always probably thinking, what's that next step? None of us, nobody that I think is truly successful feels like they're there, right? They're always yeah. looking for the next thing. Um, Damien's very much that way. He's always, you know, looking for the, for the horizon, right? So mm -hmm. is that something that you, or if, if it is something that you do, how does that kind of manifest itself in your life? So I think one of the things that I concentrate on, on when I talk, when, when you talk about being um, successful or great or anything like that, I, I really try to keep in good touch with other subject matter experts um, because uh, I've kind of, when you, when you get to that point as an executive in, in corporate world, you don't necessarily have your sleeves rolled up and, and doing things, right? You have to uh, manage a, a group of people or a, a group, uh, a bunch of divisions, and each of those people have to be doing the right thing. So just stay for, for me, it's just staying in touch enough with, you know, a broad um, e-commerce or e-marketing or digital marketing type skill set to know just enough of what's going on and who I could pick up the phone and call and say, give me a 15 minute breakdown on, you know, this, the state of paid media or uh, business intelligence or anything like that. So that, that's kind of my thing. I think I, I recognize I'm, I'm not the, the super smart Ivy League guy that's uh, able to flip numbers in my sleep, but it's more of the, I, I know and enjoy keeping in touch with people and building teams. Do you have a, a sort of key, some key advisors that you, that you speak to on a pretty 
frequent basis and in, in each one of those kind of across those categories? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I have one friend in particular um, that I met in Miami that I, I, I call for a bunch of different things. Um, he just has a, a certain way with words and experience um, that he could help me arrive at um, a decision and, and not necessarily tell me what to do, but talk me through something uh, much the same as, as a psychologist might not tell you what to do, but they help extract certain um, realities that you, you know, you come to face. Um, so uh, there, there's definitely a few, but in the end, it, it's your decision making. I, I don't think the, the best advisors are making decisions for you. They're, they're leading you to a place where you're going to have some sort of experience and that experience might be good and it might be bad. And, and you know, you come out of that with a new experience and, and you, you try to use that to the best of your advantage. So I mean, it's all of life is an experiment, right? You experiment with different things, um, you survey different people, and then you put all those things together. Awesome, Michael. Thank you so much for your for your time. This has been really, really great. Probably the tightest, uh, tightest podcast we've done so far. <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you. I hope to see you guys soon out in LA uh, post-COVID, hopefully. This is an actual commercial break, although there was no cash or product exchanged. Chad and Duma wanted to start promoting a brand they are stoked on each week. This may or may not be the views of feral wetsuits and was done independently without them knowing. So Doom, with, with the La Nina winter coming, I, I've really been thinking I, I need to get a, a really good warm wetsuit. Um, what, what features do you think are the most important? Unless it has every single one of these features, I won't even bother. What you're really looking for is lightweight furnace carbon, graphene, thermoshield technology, liquid mesh, channel flex, hollow fibers, techno butter, red cell infrared, interior insulation, EvoFlex interior taping, nanotri-tech knee panels, micro glide skin, ultra span, sizzle seam seal, say that three times, fuse entry, thermal smoothie, ectoflex knee, machine applied superflex tape, air light, ninja neoprene, embossed super tough knee pads, thermal brain, cement, fully articulated leg panel, and it has it fair trade certified. But Doom, I like feral wetsuits and they don't have any of those features. And also I've noticed that they don't have any pro surfers telling me which wetsuit I should buy. But Chad, don't you consider yourself a free thinker? I do. And don't you like Yamamoto rubber? Love it. What about minimalist design? It's the best. And honest pricing? Can't get enough of it. Then you need to visit feralsurfing.com for your very own feral wetsuit. And you know why I like feral wetsuits the best? Why? Because their tagline is they're the best wetsuits. Then they must be the best. That's right, because no one ever lies in marketing. Welcome to... At the corner of Lincoln and Empire Avenue with Lincoln either. It's a new weekly feature where we break down stats and have winners and losers. So what are we going to be looking at today, Link? Basically, surf media websites. I started tracking the top nine sites when Beach Grit started blowing steam about how they were the biggest website in the world. So I was kind of interested to have a little bit more of a look on the stats that they were claiming from, which is a site called SimilarWeb.com. And so getting the nine websites stats all from that one platform creates an easier benchmark for them all to be held against. January, I started collecting all the data and it's basically through similarweb.com, which if I do all the top nine sites, I've got Magic Seaweed, Surfline, Beach Grit, Coastal Watch, Swellnet, Surfer, WSL, Inertia, and Stab. They're all the ones that registered. All the other surf sites you generally check don't seem to register on there with enough information to make it worthwhile to keep tracking. So you've got nine sites. And pulling them all together on SimilarWeb creates an equal benchmark that they can all get held against um 
if any of the sites actually wanted to give me all their data, like from Google Analytics, it'd probably make it a lot clearer, but none of them are going to do that. So um, I've been tracking January, February through to I just picked up July stats. Um, after I got June stats, I did a half yearly average, um, which was pretty interesting. So Magic Seaweed, on average, we're getting like 2.68 million. Um, they're always doing really well. They get a lot of traffic, which is pretty crazy. Their average page visits are always high. Bounce rate's generally low. Um, they get good referral through search and, well, they don't get anything through social. The sites that have cameras, so Magic Seaweed, Surfline, Coastal Watch, Swellnet, all do reasonably well. Like Coastal Watch and Swellnet are Australian. Magic Seaweed is Europe, but they get most of their traffic from the US. Surfline's obviously US. Um, they all do really well month on month and are running pretty similar numbers. You then go to Beach Grid, which is probably the anomaly amongst those nine, uh, amongst those top five sites. They're the only other ones other than Magic Seaweed and Surfline that are consistently getting over a million visits a month, which is pretty nuts. Granted, their average duration, their page per visits, bounce rate aren't that great, but they do do really well with, you know, they get like 40% of their traffic from search. They're one of the few sites that get a decent referral rate from social. They get 11% uh, of their traffic from social, which you break that down. This is interesting. So like 11% of traffic is referred to from social for Beach Grid. 94% of that is Facebook. Yeah, they've only got 25,000 people on Facebook. So a lot of their stuff becomes quite viral in the sense of other people reposting it, sharing it, whatnot, based around the fact that they do so much fucking clickbait stuff. Between Derek and Chaz, they really know how to rustle up a, an attractive headline. There was always our like argument against the inertia was like, yeah, we could also go post a Russian woman surfing in heels and have my mom and all her friends share it on Facebook. Yes, it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. No, and that's one thing I really do respect about STAB, especially today, is they do probably the most organic surf content out of most of the sites. Like they're consistently putting either themselves out there or working with either Monster or Vans, it seems like, and creating good surf content. It's not repurposed stuff. It's not press release stuff. It's, oh, here's an idea. Let's go and make it happen. And so the surfer hundreds an idea, stab in the darks. Whereas some of the other sites are just either playing on that, my mum's a Russian surfed in high heels concept or sharks or repurposing press releases from the sites. And so for me personally, I think Stab's done a pretty decent job over the last 12 to 18 months of shifting that conversation, of not repurposing, but coming up with their own kind of unique twist on it. Granted, they still take whatever's hot and, and get it up there as well, like whether it's a hot video from someone or, you know, everyone makes that same mistake. They all fucking, excuse me, they all do it in the sense of, oh, such and such just released an Instagram post. I'm going to make an actual story out of this, which I kind of find lazy. Like, I think that Instagram is the new newswire, is the ultimate form of terrible journalism, if there even is such a word in surf. Uh, and then what was, so I think, Obviously, we've seen, uh, I mean, just looking at your Instagram and you posted some of the stats, one of the biggest shocks to me was, I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd heard previously about Magic Seaweed and just how much bigger they are than everybody else, but then how low, and we had met with Eric Logan last year sometime and he talked about, you know, them having huge traffic when the events are off and then how it just dips way down, but then just how 
what have WSL's numbers been like since kind of COVID started in the beginning of the year? Like if you went back to uh, Pipe Masters when it was like one of their biggest days, they clocked like four mil or something. And this year they've peaked at uh, roughly around 760. And since then, they've just kind of flatlined at around 350, 400. And so they're up this month with 410. But the last three months, it's been around 380, 390 for the governing body or the, you would think that they'd be a lot better or the opportunity that they've had right now with COVID on the tail of Eric Logan saying that they are going to be a content media house and then getting given the silver lining of COVID with everyone at home and increasing their screen time to then ultimately shit the bed with some of the content concepts that they came and rolled out with is just somewhat embarrassing. When you've got Stab, who's probably a third of the size, coming out with better concepts with that Surf 100, you know, and then on the tail, you've got Rumble in the Pool or Snore in Lamore. Um, <laughs> there's just a challenge there for WSL to get a better understanding of the content topics they should or should not be playing with. It doesn't feel like they've got anyone in there really outside of Proden or Pat that has a good grasp on what solid surf content is for a, a consumer that really enjoys surf. Like it, it, it feels like it's embarrassing that they're so aggressive in going after the middle America or the Karens of the world. This idea that we need to reach middle America or that we need to reach as many people as possible, like um, growth for growth sakes is just a recipe for disaster. A lot of the content you see on their socials for WSL, it's not theirs, it's just repurposed, which every leading surf account does. Um, the one thing that got my nose out of joint was they're making money off those repostings. Like they've got ad rolls running on their Twitter account so that if they grab a video from Dan Scott of Steph surfing down here, I'll get served an ad on that. Dan doesn't get that money. Steph doesn't get that money. WSL get that money. So they're making money off things like that without, what's the word? You're distributing the wealth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, you know, the profits. Sorry, you know, that. It's just, it's just a weird one, the way that the WSL runs. I think that the interesting one that a lot of people kind of sit there and go like, oh, how did that happen? Is like stab at 400,000, like they're the lowest out of the nine. Like they're always the smallest site. Um, their stats are okay. They've got a pretty okay bounce rate of 64%. Um, direct is 48%. Search is 27 What they do really well, along with the inertia, is get a lot of traffic socially. So the inertia get, gets 34% of their traffic um, from social channels. That includes a big kick from YouTube too, which is interesting because most of the sites only get their social referrals from Facebook or Instagram. And what were you saying earlier that Beach Grit was? Well, to put it in perspective, Magic Seaweed, Surfline and Swellnet run at 2%. The Watch is at 4%. Beach Grit and Surfer Mag run at 11%. The Wazzle's at 15 Stab at 21 and Inertia at 34%. So this Inertia and Stab have uh, ability to pull traffic from their social channels. And again, all the stats that I have, the stats that anyone else can get, and they're just from the outside looking in, it's just trying to create an equal benchmark. And it's the same when I do it with the Instagram stats of like just trying to find where that flat baseline is to pull or, or compare everyone against. So it's not kind of, I guess, it's just trying to make it as fair as possible, doing the best job I can with the stats I have. So what's, what are the headlines? WSL are 
aren't doing that great unless they've got a live event. If you have cameras, you're doing pretty well because you look at Magic, Seaweed, Surfline, Coastal Watch, Swellnet, they all do really well. They all get a pretty high average visit and really solid page per views. Their bounce rates are low. Um, they just don't really convert that well search-wise or social as well as I thought they would, especially on the search side of things. I thought um, a lot of those surf forecaster sites would have done a lot better but i guess it goes to show that uh people sign up to their camera get their local beach and just go there straight each morning they're not checking around to see what else is there the big one was surfer has a 47 percent search referral which is pretty good um beach grid have 39 so they're doing really well on terms of just pulling people in based on random keywords or phrases that they're searching and the other one is just stab being so low with their traffic but in my mind pumping out some of the better surf content that's around i feel like it probably should be higher but um i guess the surf audience is a fickle beast that'd probably be the three big things of like how unimpressive wsl stats are how much better sites with surf forecasting and cameras do the beauty of clickbait with beach grit and the unfortunate traffic numbers of stab given that it's the type of content that you would assume most surfers would be interested in this is an audio transition so we have a new feature on our podcast uh, starting today and it's just well we've really been trying to do this for a while now uh, but the this, the story about the product itself is a bit of an odyssey so i'll let duma take it away because he's the one that ordered it yeah, so this we've been getting a ton of requests about doing product reviews, and it seems everyone's product review crazy, which makes total sense because every time I buy anything, I don't know about you, I like Google it on YouTube, find the video, check it out, see what people think about it. So it makes total sense. Yeah, you triangulate, right? Yeah, exactly. If someone else can blow their cash on a, on a crappy product better than me doing it. Right. So, Mor- so the first one actually thought was pretty perfect. Morgan Mass in a few weeks, he always sends me the most random stuff, and he sent me this, this product that basically, it's called Peel Surf. And you just send it to my DMs on Instagram. And, and I just thought it was perfect to be the first thing that we review because it's just like something that nobody needs, completely frivolous. And yeah. it's, I feel like in Japan, this product would be huge because it's like a surf accessory that you don't really need. <laughs> but, you know, they just love all the accoutrements that come with it. It, it, you mean like the board stands in the parking lot and yeah yeah the perfect the heated shower all that kind of thing they're so rad with it though anyways let's, let's not talk smack so, no it's, I, I respect it I'm incredible. just not that organized the person me neither but uh, so it's called Peel Surfco and essentially what it is it's a silicone wax holder and it's for all that goes between your seats right like in your cup holder and it's for like all those little tidbits of wax that you get you throw them in there and they're, they're like theory or what they say the kind of the purposes of it's got like a slit in the middle so all your little tidbits of wax melt down instead of melting on your seat and pissing your wife off or in the back of her car or, you know, wax gets everywhere. Throw it in here on a hot summer's day, it'll melt down. And then when it's cooler, you can pop it down. You've got a perfect block of wax with even the cut down the middle. So I'm like, all right, it seems pretty cool. We'll order it. So, so far off an order, I think it was on like Friday. So I assumed, you know, they kind of said three to five days shipping or we gave, I gave it a solid week. So it came around to do the podcast. It said it was being delivered Thursday. I went to the mailbox. Now, where I live in Topanga, and most of the homes in Topanga, there's kind of one group of mailboxes at the end of the street, right? And I'm at the furthest away from them. So I've got to walk. It's probably 200 yards. not very far. I use it as an excuse to take the dog out. So I go back and forth on Thursday. Not there. Friday, it's not there. Now, it said it's been delivered. Saturday doesn't come. 
USPS is closed on Mondays, I mean on Sundays, Monday doesn't come. So I fire off an email to the info at peelsurf.com and I'm like, hey man, product never came, like trying to inquire about it, could you maybe help me track it down? So he writes back like, contact your local USPS office and you know, basically figure it out. So I wrote back, uh, no, I'm not spending the next 45 minutes on the phone, that's kind of on you because as owning a previous retail store, our whole thing was like, it's on us until the customer gets it in their hand. If they don't, we have to send them a new product. And sometimes you get scammed, sometimes you don't, right? Some well, stuff gets stolen. Citizen, you can say the customer is always right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Call the manager. In South Africa or Australia <laughs> or anywhere else in the world, they'll tell you to go kick rocks, but exactly. it's not here. The here. customer is right. That's right. So he writes back like, just spent 45, he writes back 30 minutes later, just spent 45 minutes on the phone with the USPS. They said it was delivered like, and issues a refund to me. And he's like, I don't know what you want me to do, man. So I'm like, first of all, like, I don't want a refund. No, no. So I'm like, firstly, like, I actually just want to get the product so I can review it, da da da, da and like, and kind of give him a bit of a spiel. And then he writes back insinuating that I actually did receive the product and I'm just trying to get it for free and get a refund. And then I was heated. So I kind of went off on him. And he was like, I don't know what you want me to do, man. And so I went off. I was like, dude, you need to fucking chill. First of all, I never once, like, don't accuse me of, you know, trying to steal from you. For your ten dollar like shitty product that yeah. I'm paying for to do a product review that I'll never use again uh, because I'm just not that person. I'd rather have wax and in the it's back coming of my car. Out of the free radicals marketing. Yeah, button. exactly. Which is pretty slim right now. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I kind of shat all over him, and he wrote back like, "You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Let's get another order for you going." So I ordered another one, paid for it again, so then we can do a fair review. Right. Paid for it and checked the mail. Oh. And then I got all paranoid. So when, when, rewind to six, eight months ago when we first moved to Topanga. I was ordering a few things. A few things got stolen out of the mailbox. My wife's on the next door app. They're always talking about shit getting stolen. Even though, to me, it seems a bit nuts. We live in the middle of nowhere that people would drive up. They just steal mail and small mailboxes. But my wife's been shitting on me saying that I need to get a one of those like special USPS ones with a lock. And I've been like, no, I don't want to spend 100 bucks on a mailbox. You know, the one there is perfect. So eventually, like this is like, I'm like, all right, if it did get stolen which I, I couldn't have because I was checking the mail every day and all our other mail was there. If it did get stolen, like that makes me look like kind of a dick. So like, let me just go and order this mailbox just to make sure this comes. So I spend 110 bucks on a mailbox. It comes, spend half the morning at, you know, at what, what did we charge? Like 200 bucks an hour. So yeah. probably three hours doing it. So now this product has cost three, $613. <laughs> yeah. uh, only because you're too cheap to hire the right person to put it Yeah, on so I put it on. It took me all morning. Installed it. And then I started checking the mail again every day, every day, every day. Said it was coming Thursday, didn't come, or whatever day. Said it was the day said it was coming, didn't come, didn't come Friday, didn't come Saturday. So we record our podcast yesterday for today's show, and I just shared all over Nick. So we we're re-recording this because I'm yeah. like, it didn't come. As I get home, Nick is the owner, by the way, who who started it, and I only figured that out once I went to the um, the the GoFundMe page, or not the GoFundMe, the crowdfunding page. And I get back to the house and it's sitting there on the table. So it actually wasn't even delivered to the mailbox. It was delivered to our front door. And I'm not sure if he did different posts or something, but it's there now. Sounds like Nick got on an airplane like, <laughs> like, and hand-delivered your cup. Well, I was willing to go like drown, drive down and get it from somewhere and pick it. You know, if they sold it at a retail store because I really wanted to review it. It was yeah. kind of part of our show and I didn't have anything else planned or backed right. up. So I get it. So I'm like, all right, Chad, I phoned you yesterday. I'm like, we've got, to, we've got to re-record this thing now. The product came and today is going to be super hot, right? Like it's, right. Uh, what do you think is outside right now? 90? 90. Close it's, to. Yeah, 90. And then inside your car has got to be 
yeah, oh, 130. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're steaming in there. So I parked yeah. my car literally in the sun this morning, put all the giblets of wax together, threw it in between the seats, peak sun, and it doesn't really work. And I was really hoping was first. First of all, I didn't think it would work anyway because I don't know if you've ever experienced wax that melts in the back of your car and then it hardens. There seems to be like some oil that separates from the wax. Yeah. So the wax had kind of melted down and then it kind of didn't congeal. And I even used like all sex wax to make sure like I wasn't trying to mix foo with a few yeah. different things. Yeah, because foo, foo has a higher melt you know yes yeah. you gotta be careful about which kind of wax you put in so there. it was like let me just so i actually just took a block of wax and kind of like and there was a few little pieces i had in there but kind of broke it up and mm -hmm. cut it and threw it all in there and then direct in the sun so it's had a good like eight hours in the sun today and it's kind of just like clumpy i mean they're like sticking together but they're not sticking together like it's kind of like when you take play-doh from different yeah <laughs> uh, yes exactly. <laughs> that's, how it looked, right? that's exactly what i would thought so i have a design suggestion for yeah you. So I know there's a reason that it's orange, so you can easily find it in your car, which most cars have black interior, and you know it gets lost, whatever. If you make the thing black, it's gonna get double hot. Oh, it's that's smart. It's gonna actually work much, much better. I actually think it's a good idea, and I think that you would, I, so my, my gut says, if, so, because the oil comes out once it melts, right? But that's usually when it melts kinda all over the place. That's true. If it melts in the cup, Nick, I'm helping you out here, buddy. If if it melts in the cup and the cup is black, then I gotta think that that oil then would become would kind of recongeal in the in the wax. And even if it didn't, you could just take like a little stick or a pencil and just stir it back in there. Yeah, but you're probably not gonna go to your car when it's like super hot because this is like you know it's a ten dollar product, so it's cheap and it's worth a buy just alone. I, I will say that it's worth a buy just alone to not get wax in your seats. Yeah. And like you could even put in the back of your car, it doesn't have to go in the front, and that's where you hold your little sure. wax. And if it melts down, yeah. cool. And if you have a desperate, it's but it there, right? It didn't give you a perfect bar of sex but, wax. Yeah, and you're not going and you're not going to take like a stick and stir yeah, it and like re like assess the wax and pour it, it again. I'm trying to make it work. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm well, the glass half full. Well, Barry Wallens, who's uh, he, he, he's a good friend of mine, I talk to every day, and uh, he, he had a good I was telling him a bit about the product because as I got home, he was on the phone to him, and I just started chuckling because the product had arrived, right? And we right. just talk shit on Nick for it not coming again and we basically said that Nick's running a scam and the, the micro payments of $10 not really enough to yeah. you know if something hadn't come that was 10 bucks usually I wouldn't have emailed because I'm just like Ugh, I'll just order it again or won't get it but because yeah. we wanted to review it I was like that's why I took the effort to go and email totally understandable anyway so he was like yeah but how does it work in winter yeah and not only how does it work in winter but like are there a lot of places that people surf where they don't need that cup because it's just not it's not that hot you well, know, that's I mean, it. I mean, if you even on the coast of California, like we're, you know, as you come into Japanga, it heats up exponentially. That would never work in Venice. No. Like there'd be three or four days a year that you'd get hot enough in Venice to where, man, that's not true. There are a lot of summer days, but like three months out of the year, you need that thing. The rest of the year, that would never work. And you'd have to like, and then there's a suggestion on the website that you could take it and use it in your in your toaster oven or something. I, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of work for a bar of wax, but... Um, anyway, I'm going to give know, it, I'll, I'm going to give him a review though. So okay. for like 10 bucks, something that stops the wax from going on your seats. Now it doesn't, the idea and the selling point doesn't really work where it melts and then you have a perfect block of wax. Like it's great in theory, but doesn't really, but like five out of 10 would recommend. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like a 50% like chance. 50, 50. Yeah. If you're like a clean freak and that and yeah. you know, whatever. I'd you know, go 75 if the thing was black one, because it would melt better. One thing I did 
I will give him credit though, is it did make my, my car stinks like, you know, moldy old wetsuits the whole time and that. Mm -hmm. But it did, leaving the wax in the middle of the car did make it smell better. Well, so the smelling so of that. Un, right, an unintended uh, positive consequence. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, Nick, 50-50 uh, ain't bad, you know. I mean, we're on the fence. And, and, you know, that's kind of, you got to think there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, emotion kind of, you know, built up over the, the course of this whole postal service thing. And, I mean, there's a lot going on. I was here. heated. Yeah, it was it was heavy. You should have seen him yesterday. So a lot better today. Uh, make the thing black, and it'd probably work better. And then maybe more people would buy it. But I still think you probably have ten customers, and you know, or maybe you've got a hundred customers. Dude, this, what, what is no, the, it's all the random the stuff. It's all the unsexy that? stuff where people get rich. You yeah. know, guys that have trash companies or the random things. You know, people do like their cars more than I do. Yeah, so exactly. They, they might actually, you know. Anyway, uh, well, that thank you for the first product review. You just got through it, guys, and hopefully um, that was that was entertaining enough and then we'll be reviewing i think that you are and you're probably going to be going down to mexico yeah i'm going to go try to get some surfing down the next few days and are you going to bring some yeah so we've been getting a bunch of people have actually sent it to me including yourself chad was the fcs surf wax yeah so i've always been a guy that like that for me there's just no other point of having any other wax other than sex wax you know food came along but food is also it's amazing and i do use it sometimes but Man, it's dangerous too. Like your foot gets stuck. It can't move. Like it's for guys like Jordy that stand up in the exact same place or Felipe or Gabriel or any of these guys that stand up in the exact same place every single time. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. think it's for the average consumer. No, no. And if you don't know how to use it, like your wits, it's like smudged. So for me, I'm a sex wax guy. So I don't see why FCS even needed to get into like wax. Like it just seems like trying to take shelf space. And you know, I've got a bit of an issue with FCS and it's great that they pay surfers. And, you know, they sponsor guys and that. But you know when they sold for $25 million to SurfStitch, not one surfer owned a piece of that. Really? It was a private equity group. So it's like, cool, Richie, love it. You know, he, he's he got a full-time job with them. He kind of runs the, the, the marketing and I think mm -hmm. the product development and that too, which is rad. They're paying surfers. But it seems a bit unusual that the coolest product you can have next to surfboards, no surfers own. A private equity group owns it. Yeah, that, that is pretty sketch. Weird, right? Yeah, it's lame. I always hate hearing that. Because they're know, the like, big, they essentially, Futures and them are the two biggest ones. You know, yeah. Future, the crew from Futures are as core as they get. Yeah. I'm uh, they're making fins in the back. They have their factory in, in Huntington Beach. and Yeah, I, I definitely. It's strange, right? I'd prefer. 25 million things. bucks, not one surfer made any money out of that. It's incredible. You got to think like how Kelly built that brand. What you know, the, yeah, the K yeah. fin on the, on the back of him, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I think. I in, thought he would have had some equity in it. You would think. Yeah, I would have gone like... I would have thought anything Kelly had a part of, but he would have had equity in at some point. Especially that back then was kind of like... Cause I, I don't remember. That might have been the first Kelly Slater endorsed product, right? The k -fin. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Quicksilver had some things, but yeah, maybe. I mean, that, that, that blue that circle... Goof, the, the Goofy-looking tail pad. He did his <laughs> base. Like, for some reason, all of a sudden, the, the circle was Kelly's thing. This is like... This I think we like, said this on the previous podcast, sorry, Kelly. but Kelly makes the worst investments. And one of them was uh, one of the... When, when at Stab, when they launched the... You know the news about him him launching. I don't know. One of the comments on there, which I still think is one of the greatest tab comments I've ever read, was, "Hey Kelly, I have a mildly successful plumbing business. If you're interested in investing in, <laughs> uh, that is the reputation, right? Yeah, community project, all these different <laughs> ones, and just like worst, the worst. Anyway, uh, anyway. Um, so. 
So, hey, if you guys got any products that you want us to review, send them our way. Um, I think we have our address listed anyway, but just DM us and we'll review it. But uh, be careful. We will be harsh and we'll be, uh, we'll be, be honest. Honest. Harsh, honest. Yeah, exactly. Honest is good. I mean, I tried to I tried to pull it out over the fifty percent line. You didn't let me do it, but but yeah, I tried. Nah, 50, five out of ten would recommend. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna go. I mean, yesterday was ten out of ten. Wouldn't recommend. So he's yeah. done pretty well. Yeah, it was a hundred out of ten. You know? Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. That that was fun. I'd like let's do more of that. And please, yeah, give your suggestions because we I'd like to do like you know I'd like to do one of these every week. Yeah. For sure. We always save the best for last. We're like IKEA. You have to walk through the entire store to get your shitty frame. This section is Duma's Rumors. So it's back. Duma's Rumors is making a comeback finally. You just heard the start of the Duma's Rumors section that we recorded on Friday. It was about John John Florence starting his own brand with the Hurley family, but our incompetence led to the actual story breaking before we sent our podcast public. We will be back next week with a fresh set of rumors, hopefully. End of podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Damien and Chad will be sitting down with Michael Oblowich tomorrow to finish part two with him. Thank you for your patience. The boys have asked if I'd ask you to give them five stars and a review. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.